Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Good morning, church. How we doing? Isn't that incredible? Man, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Project Church, for uh, your generosity. It's because of you we're able to give to organizations like Project Rescue to partner with them. And uh, they are truly transforming legacies, lives, um, rescuing girls. I hope you were moved by that. And uh, I'm thankful that we've been able to partner with them since we started as a church. And we're going to continue to. They're doing an incredible, incredible work. Honestly, I've never seen anything like what they're doing in all my years, and I'm connected to a lot of different ministries, and um, I, I don't think there's a better organization out there that we could partner with. And so thank you guys for giving and for your generosity so we can be a part of what God is doing through them. Today we're continuing our Marked by Jesus series. I hope you guys have been enjoying this. Uh, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Mark, and uh, we have, after nine weeks, we've come to chapter two. Come on, somebody. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter two. Uh, this is something that we're doing now here at Project Church. We're going verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so we are in Mark currently. And uh, this has been an incredible series already. I love the book of Mark because the book of Mark, man, it's fast-paced. It's called Mark because Peter told his account of his experience of Jesus and with Jesus, all the things he saw Jesus do. He told it to his son in the faith, Mark. And then Mark wrote it down. And so that's why we have this book and why it's called Mark, because Mark penned it, but it's from the perspective and the eyes of Peter, the Apostle Peter, the man who was probably closest with Jesus. But this is a, a fast-paced gospel. I mean, it, it moves, boom, boom, boom. These are, um, these are, there are things happening in Jesus' life and ministry that are so powerful and impactful, and Mark just hits them in rapid fire. And so we've come now to chapter 2. And I'm super excited to be sharing from God's word with you today. If you can go there with me, it'll also be on the screen for you, as well as you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app, and our notes are on there every week if you ever want to go on and, and follow along there. But today I want to talk to you about the title, Jesus Sees Different. How many know that uh, you don't always see things in this life the same way that other people see things in this life? Like there's a lot of people that have a different perspective than you in this world, aren't there? I know that as a married man, my wife and I, we don't see things the same, let me tell you. Like we see things very different, and all the husbands will give me an amen. We see things different. In fact, my wife, she is a morning person. While as I am an evening person, I'm a night person. She wakes up at 5 a.m. and goes to the gym and spends her time with God. While as me, I saw that Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening in Genesis. So that's how I roll, all right? It's biblical. And, uh, and so we're, we're very different. We don't see things the same. My, my wife, she doesn't really like to take a day off. And I do. I, I like to rest. And so thankfully in our marriage, I've been able to, to help her to say, babe, it's all right if you take a day off. You don't have to grind nonstop. We're, we're different. We see things different. You know, uh, I like more violent movies. She likes The Notebook. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's her favorite. Uh, and so we, we see things from a different pers perspective. It's different. She likes expensive restaurants. 
really expensive restaurants. I mean, really, really expensive restaurants. While as me, I'd be happy with a buffet. Come on, somebody. Give me that all you can eat. I will get down. Give me a burger and some pizza. I'm good to go. My wife, she gets down like she's like, take me to Ella Bar. And I rebuke that in Jesus' name because we on a pastor's budget. You know what I'm saying? But, man, in this life, we rarely see eye to eye with people. We rarely see things in the same way, see from the same perspective. So I want to talk to you as we jump in here to Mark chapter 2, looking at this story of a paralytic man that was healed. I want to talk to you about how Jesus sees different. In fact, Jesus sees you different. He sees you different than you maybe even see yourself, and he definitely sees you different than other people see you. He knows everything about you, and I believe that we need to be challenged today to learn to see through the eyes of Jesus. This series marked by Jesus tells us and shows us that when we meet Jesus, when we get to know Jesus, when we learn about Jesus, we're marked forever. We're changed. We can't be the same. And so I believe as followers of Christ, man, we have to begin to see the way Jesus sees, don't we? And for you and me, that means we also have to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. Because here's what I believe, when you embrace the you that Jesus sees, you can be the you that Jesus needs. And listen, Jesus has called us to be his hands and feet. We have a part to play in this story, don't we? In this gospel story, we have a part to play. And some people have said to me, well, God doesn't really need us. He doesn't really need us. But at the same time, he says you have a role in this, a part in this. So he chooses to use us. But guess what? If we don't want to be used by God, he'll just use someone else. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be the one that he uses than the one that he doesn't. And so we have to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us so we can be who Jesus needs us to be in this world. He needs us to be different than this world. He needs us to have a different perspective than this world, to walk different than this world. So let's read Mark chapter 2. It'll be on the screen for you as well. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I always read from the ESV, so if you ever wonder, what version do they use? We use the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, it's the best version. No, I'm kidding. It says this. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Everyone say the word. Now this is, this Greek word here is the word logos. And now that word literally means word. Right? He's preaching the word. But this term logos began to have the connotation of the message of the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, Mark writes and he uses this word of logos which began to take on the the authority and the power of this is the gospel, this is the good news of who Jesus is. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So I want to talk to you about how Jesus sees, because Jesus sees different. He sees you different. First, Jesus sees your sin. Everybody say sin. He sees your sin. He sees my sin. I think it's interesting that at the very beginning of this story, that they bring this paralytic man, and I mean, this is a man that's paralyzed from the neck down. He can't walk. He can't move his arms. He can't feed himself. He can't do anything. And they bring this man who's limited to and isolated to a bed, a mat, for his entire life. All of his moments are spent on this mat. And the first thing Jesus does is says, son, your sins are forgiven. He speaks to his sin. I wanted to say to you today that you can't hide your sin from God. You know, you can walk in here and you can put on a good face and put on the clothes and you can lift your hands and worship and you can shout me down, come on somebody when I preach. You could do all of that and yet still have sin hidden. You could act like a Christian, talk like a Christian, walk like a Christian for everyone to see but you have all these things hidden, and I wanted to tell you that you can't hide that from God. He sees your sin. But I say that not to condemn you, but to encourage you. Because Jesus doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't leave us isolated in our sin. He doesn't want us to carry our sin. He wants to carry it for us. He wants to take it. He wants you to know that, yeah, you have sin, but your sins are forgiven as long as you put your faith in me. He takes our sin. Some of us try to mask our sin, though, don't we? I've masked my sin and at times in my life. Some of us even become attached to our sin. We begin to identify with that, or that sin may even become our identity. You know, I think that there's someone in this room, maybe, maybe you've taken your sin and you've attached it to some kind of pain. And I think we have to be very careful that we don't end up being labeled like this man was labeled. Because I don't know if you recognize, but we don't know his name. He's referred to as the paralytic man. And I think there are some of us who have carried circumstances or situation or pain or sin in our life for so long that that becomes our identity. And if we're not careful, people can look at us and all they can see is the paralytic man. All they can see is our issue, our struggle, our circumstance, our situation. Why? Because we've become to, we've latched onto that and turned that into who we are, our identity. 
And Jesus came to set us free from the things of this world, to set us free from the sin of this world, to take our sin onto himself. And so I wanted to encourage you with the fact today that Jesus sees your sin. Because I think a lot of us are trying to put on a good face or we just attach ourselves to that. We say, that's who I am. That's my identity. And I wanted to tell you today, that is not who you are. That is not your identity. God has claimed you as his. And he says, that is my son and my daughter who are righteous in my name. He makes us righteous. So Jesus sees your sin, but he sees it in a way that says, give it to me. Now, this is a huge moment. When Jesus actually says your sons are forgiven. Because by forgiving his sins, by saying these words, by making this claim, Jesus was actually saying, I am God. He was outing himself. So this is really the first moment we see in the book of Mark, in the gospel, where Jesus makes a statement that is so powerful and so serious that he's actually claiming to be God. And let me explain this, what I mean by this. I want you to imagine that my boys, Canaan and Kai, are fighting, which they never do because they're angels. They share a room, so, I mean, it never happens. They're 18 months apart, so, of course, they don't fight. But I just want you to imagine that Kai, the younger brother, punches Canaan in the face. That's never happened, let me tell you. He punches Canaan in the face and Canaan begins to cry and he's hurt and he's in pain. And then Charlie, my four-year-old, walks into the room. And she looks at Kai and she says, Kai, I forgive you. And she walks out. Now I want you to imagine that, that Charlie does this and Canaan is standing there. And do you think that Charlie is the one that needs to forgive Kai? No. It's Canaan that needed to forgive him, which we regularly have to say, forgive your brother. The other day we were driving home from school and he said, Dad, he's a horrible person about his younger brother. With him sitting there. And I said, we're all horrible people, sinners saved by grace. It was a teaching moment. No, no it, it's not Charlie that, could forgive Kai in that moment. It's, it's Canaan that has to forgive him in that moment. And so when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, what he was saying was, I'm the one that has been wronged. What, is he, what he was saying is, I'm the creator, the righteous one, and any sin is an offense to me. In this moment, Jesus was claiming to be God. Because only God could forgive what had been wronged against him. So Jesus makes a powerful statement and outs himself in saying, your sons are forgiven. He's making the claim to be God. See, Jesus sees our sin. And he wants to take our sin. He's made the claim to be our savior and he wants to be your savior. But some of us have not allowed him that place in our lives. Jesus sees your sin, but he also sees your heart. He sees your heart. He sees my heart. You know, I, I, I think it's interesting, this story, because there's, there's multiple characters in this little section of Scripture, this little story. 
And there's multiple things happening in this story. Not only are there these four men who, who bring their friend and, and, and step out, but there's also these scribes who are sitting in the house listening to Jesus, but they weren't there to support Jesus or to learn from Jesus. They were there to catch Jesus. They were there to get Jesus. They wanted to get something on Jesus so they could hold it against them in the future. What I want to say to you is, is that Jesus sees your heart. He sees my heart. And what I see at work in today's culture and in our society is a spirit of criticism. And a spirit of cynicism. And I want to tell you, I am a critical, cynical person. So somebody make me feel better and just say, I am too. Come on, just encourage me today. Like, okay, thank you. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. We have other critical and cynical people in the room. But let me tell you something. I wake up every day and I say, God, I don't want to be critical. God, I, want, I don't want to be cynical. Help me to encourage. Help me to build up. And so when I say Jesus sees your heart, I believe we need to examine our hearts. Every day we need to look into our hearts. This week I had a cool opportunity. I got to show some of my best friends from high school our new building. And I have a picture. Actually, we took a picture out front. If you didn't know, we bought a building, y'all. Project Church. Coming fall 2019, I think we'll be moving in around September. Come on, somebody. If y'all keep giving, come on. <laughs> I'm kidding, but seriously, keep giving. No. So I went to high school with all four of these guys. And I thought it was interesting that as I was preparing for this message about four men carrying their friend in, I just happened to go look at our building and give four of my closest friends growing up a tour. I went to high school with these guys. I ended up going to Bible college with three of them. And uh, I just want to tell you right now, I left that meeting after giving them a tour. We went to lunch afterwards. And then all four of them sent me, or all, yeah, all four of them sent me texts encouraging me. I'll go on Facebook and Instagram and they posted pictures going on and on about how proud they were of me about how proud they were of our church, about how much they believed in us. And I had this moment of saying, why don't we celebrate each other more? And so when I say, examine your heart, and when I say to you, Jesus sees your heart, I want to challenge us today. Because I think we live in a culture where it's very easy to criticize. And it's very easy to be critical. And I get it, because the world is critical. And the world criticizes. But in the church, we got to do better. We got to be better. The church should be the place where we celebrate one another, where we encourage one another, where we build one another up, where we say, look at what my brother's done. Look at what my sister's done. I know you wanted to get engaged, girl, and your friend got engaged before you, and you wonder why, but what if you celebrated with her? I know some of you wanted that raise, but your buddy got a raise. What if you celebrated with him? In the church, those are the people we need to be. And yet we have an attitude of criticism, cynicism, and... We're constantly comparing ourselves and saying, why are they having good things happening to them and not, it's not happening for me? Well, maybe if we begin to celebrate others, then we put out some good vibes. God might send some our way too. I want to be and have a heart that celebrates. Jesus sees your heart. These scribes, why were they there? 
They were there to catch Jesus, to criticize Jesus. They sat there. They questioned their heart. How does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, Jesus sees a heart. It says that Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they question within themselves, he speaks to them. Jesus sees your heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And I believe that every day we need to wake up, we need to examine our hearts and say, Jesus, give me your heart. Give me your eyes. Change me into who you want me to be. Not only does Jesus see your sin and see your heart, but he sees your faith. Everybody say faith. I love this part of the story where these four men, they come and they bring this paralytic man. They can't get near Jesus because of the crowd, so they, they remove the roof above him and lower the paralytic in front of Jesus. I mean, this is a radical moment. Now, let me just set this up real quick. I want you guys to see a first century home. So this is a first century home. You can imagine that part would have been kind of over here. This is just so you could see it better. First century home would have looked like that. And so somebody like, how did they get this dude on the roof? <laughs> they would have got him on the roof because there would have been stairs onto the roof. Because the roof was used for drying clothes, washing clothes, working. They would even hang out out there on a, on a nice day. They'd, you know, hang out, lounge, spend time, socialize on the roof. So the roof was a regular part of, of the life of someone in the first century. And so they walk him up the roof because there's throngs of people that can't get in. I just imagine it being like Disneyland. Because I have kids. You ever been to Disneyland? It's horrible. And, uh... You're trying to get somewhere and people are elbowing you out. They don't want to let you in. I just picture these guys are trying to get in the door and they're like, nope, I'm already here. Nope, they put the elbows out. You ever try to move forward in a concert? Like, nope, I'm already here. I got my spot. Like, you're not getting in. It's like, what are we going to do? Let's go on the roof. So they go onto the roof and they begin to peel off plaster and mud and mortar. They begin to throw pieces aside. And in reality, knowing how these homes were built, that meant that Pieces would have been falling into the home as Jesus is speaking. It would have been falling on people's heads. And so they're looking, I just want you to imagine, like, look up at this beautiful Crest Theater roof. Imagine that suddenly as I'm speaking, pieces begin to fall and the hole begins to open and then somebody just comes dropping down. The owner would not be happy here at the Crest. And I love this part of the story because... Jesus saw their faith when most of us would have seen vandalism. Jesus saw their faith when most of us would have been going, man, I know how much that is going to cost. Jesus doesn't see destruction. He doesn't see vandalism. He doesn't even see interruption as he's teaching. What is the first thing that Jesus sees? He sees faith. It says... In this story, that as they begin to lower him down, Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Often, what man calls irresponsible, God calls faith. Every reward comes with some kind of risk. 
And I recognize that we got a lot of people in here that play it safe. Your planners, where are my planners at? Come on, somebody. You plan every detail of your life. You've got the next 20 years planned. You plan it all. But let me tell you, God is looking for a church that will have audacious faith, that will step out in faith, that will stop worrying about what man might say or what man might think or what people might talk about behind our backs and will walk by faith. We'll walk in obedience. We won't walk by sight. Jesus sees your faith, and what he's looking for is a church and his people that will enhance that faith. You know, I, I grew up with a brother that was a risk taker. And uh, my whole life, because of him, he, he co- he'd convince me to take risks. So we're, you know, 12, 13 years old, and we're jumping off the second story of our roof into our pool that's five and a half feet deep. And he's like, it's cool. All you got to do is when you hit the water, throw yourself back flat, and then you won't hurt yourself. And so I'm like, cool, sounds good. We do it. My parents came home one day watching us jumping off the second story into our little pool. My brother got me cliff jumping, but because of that, I began to do things on my own. I went skydiving. Worst experience of my life. I'll never do it again, but I did it. Why? Because I'm not a risk taker by nature, but I surrounded myself, and I've had people in my life that, that take risks, and suddenly I'm like, you know what? Why not? Six years ago, we, we came back to Sacramento, actually seven years ago, and we barely knew anyone, and we had no money, and God said, I want you to plan a church. And let me tell you what my planner side said. It said, Caleb, you have offers to pastor other churches. Caleb, you have a salary built in at those other churches. Caleb, there's people and there's buildings at those other churches. Why would you plant a church? And this is what I'm telling myself. But then God said, no, I called you to start something in the heart of my city. In the heart of of Sacramento, a sacrament, a holy place that for too long the enemy has had a hold of of the downtown area. And I've called you to do something new, a new thing. I'm not tooting my own horn. But what I am saying is God gives us faith and we have a decision to make. He gives us commands and he challenges us. We have a decision to make. Will we be obedient or will we walk away? Will we be obedient and take a risk, or will we take the easy way out? These men, they very easily could have said, oh, there's too many people here. Let's just take it home. Let's just take them home. I picture, you know, this paralytic lying here on this bed where he'd been for years. We don't know how long. And I picture him lying there, and they're like, hey, we should probably just go home. And I just picture him saying, no, no, anything to get me in there, anything to help me see Jesus. And they're like, you know what? We got an idea. It's a crazy idea. Let's rip the roof open and we'll lower you through. This, I mean, it was a mat most likely. Somehow, a a bed that was most likely a mat, somehow they fastened ropes to the corner of a mat and lowered a man through the roof. This is the dumbest idea of all time. But it also was a faith-filled idea. And God sees 
what man would say was a dumb idea, an irresponsible idea, an act of vandalism, a destructive idea. Many of us would have said, these people are crazy. Jesus sees it and says, I see your faith. I see your faith. And as a result, he responds and moves. God is moved by our faith. You hear me, church? He is moved by our steps of faith. He is moved by our acts of obedience. He is moved by risk-taking for his kingdom. we got to enhance our faith. And finally, if the band would come back, Jesus sees your suffering. You know, I think this maybe encourages me the most, knowing that Jesus sees my suffering. He sees when I'm hurting. He sees when I'm struggling. He sees when my relationship isn't going well. He sees when I'm struggling financially. He sees when there's a physical ailment happening in my body. He sees when there's a relational disconnection between someone in my life. He sees me when I lose my job. He sees me in all of my struggles, my suffering. Jesus, after hearing what these scribes say, it says, perceiving his spirit that they question within themselves, he says to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And you know, I've heard this. Anytime, guys. I'm waiting on you. Lauren, play the keys. Michael's taking his sweet time. You got it. Okay. You make me sound more spiritual when you play. <laughs> you know, I, I, I first, at first glance at this, I'm like, you know what? What did Jesus say? Was he saying that it was, I think he's saying that it's easier to forgive sins than it is to heal someone, right? Like it's harder to heal someone because anyone can say the words you're forgiven, but not anyone could get someone paralyzed up off a mat. So I mean, at first glance, you look at this, you're like, oh yeah, like that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that it's easier to forgive sins than it is to, to heal someone. So I'll show you I can do what's harder and I'm gonna heal him. So get up. Take up your mat, walk, and he does. But after I begin to read it and study it some more, I realize that, no, it's actually the opposite. It's actually the opposite. Because Jesus had the power in him to heal this man. All he had to do is with the word, with the glance, with the touch, say, get up and walk. That's easy. But you know what was hard? Forgiving his sins. Because Jesus knew by making this claim, by making this statement, your sins are forgiven, that meant the cross was meant to be. That meant that he was going to have to be bruised and beaten and bloodied and tortured and nailed and die. Jesus knew that by making the claim, your sins are forgiven, he had solidified what was going to be the hardest thing he'd ever done. It was way harder to forgive sins than it was to say, rise, pick up your mat and walk. You see, with Jesus, what's said is just as good as done. If you look at 
Mark 2, 9, it says, which is either to say to the paralytic, sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. And then verse 11, we go on and actually says, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. You see, with Jesus, saying and doing are synonymous. When he says a word, it's already done. When he speaks something, it's already happened in the supernatural. And some of you needed to hear this today because you've been dealing with suffering your whole life. And God wanted to tell you, I've spoken a word over you and maybe it hasn't come to pass yet, but it's already done in my name. It's already solidified. You can take it to the bank. It was far more costly to forgive than it was to heal because Jesus knew it would cost him his life. It would cost him everything. You know, as I read this story, I started to think about the mat. I started to think about this bed. And this man who, who'd been here for, for years, maybe decades. And actually in the original text, when you read it, it states that there was a link between his sin and his suffering. So I want you to think about that. Because I think some of us are bound up in sin and it's linked to the suffering that also has a hold of our life. And if we're going to walk in freedom, we have to say, God, release me from this sin too. Don't just forgive me. I need a complete res restoration, a complete release. I need chains to be broken. I cannot be bound by this any longer. But I was thinking about it in this man who's, he's laying on this mat. I, I just felt like laying down today. I haven't done this at Project Church. It's kind of fun though. This man laying here and Jesus speaks to him. He says to him, he says, so you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Rise. Take up your bed and go home. This man sits up. This man stands up. And I was thinking about it because I'm like, wait. This bed was synonymous with his suffering. This bed was all he'd known for years, for decades. So why would Jesus tell him to take it home? Like, shouldn't he leave it? Wouldn't he want nothing to do with it anymore? But I believe that Jesus spoke this over him. He said, take up your bed, walk, because this is a reminder. This is your story. This tells the story that I used to be lame, but now I'm healed. I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. I used to be bound in sin, but now I'm forgiven. This was a reminder for him. So he says, take up your bed, go home and tell everyone you see this is who I was, but it's not who I am. This is not your story. This is not the end of your story. This is a part of your story. And God is saying to us today, no longer, no longer does this bed identify you. No, I have made you new in my image. I have made you new in Christ. Jesus sees your suffering, but he might turn your suffering into your story. He might say, take that bed with you. I'm not bound by this anymore, but I just take it with me to let people know, look what God did. Look who he is. Not only that, but there might be a time when you get home and those scribes and those Pharisees and those haters sipping on that hater race are saying, I don't know if God really did that for you. 
I don't know if God really forgave you. I don't know if God really touched you. I don't know if God's really impacted your life. And you say, hold up, I got a receipt. You see what I got? You see this? Let me tell you, you might try to lie to me and tell me it didn't happen, but I know it happened. I got something to testify that it happened. And I'm gonna let you know, God saved me. God changed me. God restored me. God healed me. God did something in me that no man could do. This was God. Jesus sees you. He sees your suffering. He sees your pain. He sees your sin. And today, somebody in this place needs to respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, for the first time, I'll let you take over my life. For the first time, I'm going to follow you with my whole heart. Or maybe you've been running from God. You've turned from God. You never knew God. But today, it's time to lay down, to fold up that mat, to take it with you and say, ooh, look at what God did. Look at who he is. He's transformed me. He's set me free. Would you bow your heads with me across this place? If you're in this room, you say, Caleb, I don't know Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus. But I need Jesus. Or maybe you say, Caleb, I, I knew him at one time, but I've ran from God. I've turned my back on God. I tried it my way. And today, I need to recommit my life, my heart, my faith to him. If that's you, you need Jesus for the first time, you need to recommit yourself anew and afresh to Jesus Christ. I'm going to count to three. I want you to lift your hand. Don't worry about, about what anyone says, what anyone thinks. This is you and God. If you're like, maybe this isn't really God speaking to me. I think maybe it's the emotions. It's the music. No, the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now, and He wants you to respond. It's not me talking. It's not emotion talking. It's the power of God. It's the realness of God speaking to your life. If you need to respond to Jesus right now, I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, go. If that's you, yes hands are going up all over the room come on church give God some praise in this place this is what it's all about you can put your hands down everybody stand to your feet with you with me thank you guys for being here I know we went a little longer today than normal but hey it's worth it isn't it it's worth it to see people respond to Jesus to see people changed by Jesus our prayer team is gonna make their way forward everybody in here repeat this prayer after me say it with me say Jesus Thank you for seeing me, for knowing me, my pain, my suffering, my instability, my dysfunction, my sin. I ask you to forgive it. I ask you to change me. Today I commit my heart to you with all that I am. I love you, Jesus, and I surrender to you today. Help me to live for you with all that I am. I love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a praise one more time. We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving. Uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.